1: This is Radio Maria, and it's now time for Credo. Today we are live with Father Luke Goymore. Good afternoon, Father Luke.
2: Hi, good afternoon. How are you doing?
1: Thank you so much for joining us once again. Father Luke, not only an old friend of Radio Maria, but parish priest of St Mark's in Ipswich and the diocesan youth chaplain for East Anglia. And today he is going to be talking about the Eucharist source and summit and hopefully it will be the first of of two parts because he's got a lot to say um so we better begin over to you father luke
2: well thank you very much for that warm introduction um let's begin in prayer in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen god our father we give you thanks for the great gift of the eucharist we ask you to Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, enlighten our hearts and our minds so that we may appreciate this gift more and more and come to recognize the presence of your divine Son, Jesus Christ, who is Lord for ever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we are thankfully getting into springtime, the weather is improving, and it's getting to that time of year where first communions start to happen. It will be Corpus Christi soon. And when thinking about what would be good to talk about in these Credo talks, I thought I would share with you about my favourite topic, the Mass, the Eucharist, the most important thing we do as Catholic Christians. So the Eucharist, source and summit, that phrase, Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1324 says the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. (laughs) The other sacraments and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the apostolate are bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented toward it. For it is in the blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the church namely Christ himself, our Pasch. That is um, powerful words, bold words from the church. So let's just unpack some of that in our reflection today. Well, as a sort of preamble to all of that, I suppose we could say that probably the defining characteristic of the Catholic faith is the Mass. We might call it the Mass, we might call it the Eucharist. We use those words interchangeably. But Catholics and Mass, they just simply go together like, I don't know, fish and chips or cheese and wine, bangers and mash. As Catholics, we celebrate nuptial Masses. We celebrate Requiem Masses, Masses on anniversaries, school Masses, youth Masses. We're accustomed to asking the priest to remember us at Mass or to offer a Mass for a particular intention. It is truly part and parcel of who we are and what we do. To say, however, that the, the Mass is the source and summit of the Christian life and faith might perhaps to some, seem to go a bit too far. And yet this is precisely what the church teaches. To be sure, this is a bold claim. Let's break this down. The source. The source is the origin, or the origin of something. So we're saying that the the origin of our faith is the mass, the summit. The summit is the, the highest point. So we're saying that the The mass is the highest point of our Christian life, our Christian faith. When we understand the mass or the Eucharist for what it is, it becomes very easy to see why we make such a bold claim. But we don't always understand what we're doing. In these reflections... This time and next time. I don't know if it's next week because I can't remember what I'm next on. Um, But we're going to go on a journey through the mass in order to unpack some of these essential elements of what is happening. In the hope that we will be able to appreciate ever more fully the divine mystery, which is at the heart of our Catholic life and our Catholic faith. Okay. So when we come to Mass, usually at church on a Sunday, we gather together in church and we wait. We wait in anticipation for the Eucharist to begin, hopefully in prayerful reflection. I have to admit that's not always the case in many of our parish churches up and down the world, and certainly not always the case in the sacristies beforehand. But the ideal is that we will be in prayerful reflection. Um, Reflection, gather together as the people of God. And this gathering of the people is itself significant. For Jesus Christ is present, truly present, in four specific ways in every celebration of the Eucharist. And these four presences of Christ or modes of Christ's presence are people, priest, word, and Holy Communion, the Eucharistic species of bread and wine. I want us to reflect on those four areas. So first of all, Christ is present in us, the people of God, the body of Christ. In the initial act of gathering in church, we are affirming the fundamental way in which Christ is present in his world, in and through us. Jesus is present in the world through us, his mystical body, the church. By gathering, we as Christ's people are challenged to recognise in one another the presence of the risen Lord, whom we will encounter in three other specific ways during the course of the Mass. Now, the idea that Christ is present in the assembly of the people is an important one, for we say quite rightly that the church is the body of Christ. When we come to mass, however, we also receive the body of Christ in Holy Communion in order to be formed, changed, strengthened ever more into the mystical body of Christ in the world. You know, the Eucharist is always an action of the whole church. We are members of the body of the church and Christ is the head of the body. In the Eucharist, Christ offers himself to the Father in an act of thanksgiving. Eucharistio is Greek for thanksgiving. It's where we get the name Eucharist from. And we as living members of his body, are caught up in this wonderful and dynamic exchange. The Mass, then, is Christ's sacrifice offered to his Father. Now, we're going to examine precisely how it's Christ's sacrifice in more detail in our next reflection. But for now, it's sufficient to say that we, the people of God, are offered to God in the Mass, If you think I'm making this up, let's just look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Catechism says this. Okay. having said that, I don't think I noted down where the Catechism says this. So I'll have to look it up for you another day. But the Catechism says the Eucharist is also the sacrifice of the Church. The Church, which is the body of Christ, participates in the offering of her head. With him, she herself is offered whole and entire She unites herself to his intercession with the Father for all men. In the Eucharist, the sacrifice of Christ becomes also the sacrifice of the members of his body. The lives of the faithful, their praise, sufferings, prayer and work are united with those of Christ and with his total offering and so acquire a new value. Christ's sacrifice present on the altar makes it possible for all generations of Christians to be united with his offering. Brothers and sisters, the Mass, the the Eucharist is everything for the Christian life. Not only do we encounter Christ in each other, but we are transformed by the Eucharist to be what we have been created to be, the image of Christ in our world. When we come to Mass, we bring with us all that we are, our our hopes, our dreams, our faults, our failings, our needs, our supplications, our families, all that we are, we bring all of this and more to the table of the Eucharist. And through the action, of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed. As bread and wine is transformed into Christ's body and blood, so in an analogous way, all that we offer are transformed in Christ and by Christ, so that our lives can bear his image ever more authentically. The Christ is present in us, in the people gathered. Christ is also present in his priest. The priest is a key player at the mass, if we haven't understood this already. Let's think about that for a few moments. At the Last Supper... Jesus gathered his 12 disciples and taking bread and wine, celebrated for the first time the first Eucharist. In commanding the 12 to do this in memory of me, he asked the church to do something fundamental and foundation. So, in doing so, in doing this, The church recognises that both the Eucharist and the, the priesthood were instituted by Jesus Christ and they are inextricably linked to one another. The relationship between the Eucharist and the priesthood is such that we can say that Christ is present in the Eucharist in and through the action and person of his priest. And at the heart of the Eucharistic prayer are the words of institution, which are the words of Christ himself. The priest raising the host slightly above the altar says, take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body given up for you. Similarly, he takes the chalice and says, take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the chalice of my blood. You know the rest. But what is significant? is that the priest does not say, this is Jesus's body. This is Jesus's blood. He says, this is my body, this is my blood. And he does this because Christ is present most powerfully at those moments in and through his minister, through which he speaks these words for his people. Now, talking of speaking, I've been speaking for a long time And I think we need a little bit of a break before we explore this idea a little bit more. So I'm going to ask for some music, if we can have some music and we can catch our breath.
1: Thank you you. so much, Father Luke. I don't think we can ever quite have enough of you. But let's have a listen to Father I'm Home from Joseph and Rosemary Black. For you dear Maria. That was Father I'm Home from Joseph and Rosemary Black. We are live with Father Luke Goymore, parish priest of St Mark's in Ipswich and he is talking to us this afternoon about the Eucharist, the Source and Summit. Back over to you, Father Luke.
2: Just before our break we were reflecting on how Christ is present in the people of God, in us gathered, and In his priest. And I just want to explore a little bit more about how Christ is present in the priest. The Catholic teaching has has long held that at ordination, a permanent change occurs within the soul of the man ordained. Man is configured to Christ, the high priest, in such a way that he acts, and this is important, in persona Christi capitis, which means in the person of Christ the head. Now all baptized Christians are configured to Christ at baptism all baptized Christians have a change at the level of their being that's what we call an ontological change at baptism and so in a sense all baptized Christians are alter Christus other Christs who act in the person of Christ and this is how we can say quite rightly that that Christ acts in and and through all of us as his body mystical body the church but A further change occurs in the soul of the ordained man, which enables him to function in capitus as Christ the head. Meaning he performs the role of Christ, the good shepherd, and in his name leads, teaches and sanctifies the members of Christ's flocks. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1548, puts it like this. In the ecclesiastical service of the ordained minister, it is Christ himself who is present to his church as head of his body, shepherd of his flock, high priest of the redemptive sacrifice, teacher of truth. This is what the church means by saying that the priest, by virtue of the sacrament of holy orders, acts in persona Christi Capitus. So, when a priest celebrates the sacraments in the name of Christ and his church, it is in effect not the priest, but rather Christ himself who is administering the sacraments. When a priest absolves, it is Christ who absolves. When a priest anoints, it is Christ who anoints. When a priest blesses, it is Christ who blesses. And when a priest offers his body and blood in the mass, it is Christ who is offering his body and blood in the mass. And if you think I'm making that up, all I'm doing is paraphrasing St. Augustine. So the priest acts in the person of Christ the head. Let's have an analogy to just think about this a little bit further. Um, I imagine most of your listeners uh, will be familiar with the uh, enigmatic spy 007, James Bond. And the film franchise most recently has been played Um, with the actor James Bond being played by um, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig is an accomplished actor who has played numerous roles in television, film, etc. But if you met Daniel Craig, be it, I don't know, in a bar, if you're lucky enough, um, a restaurant, or even on the street, wherever you would meet him, you would correctly address him as Daniel, because that is who he is. When, however, Daniel is performing the role of 007, he, in a sense, ceases to be Daniel and becomes the character he is playing, James Bond. So in the films, it is James Bond who is the super spy, not Daniel Craig. And we could say that Daniel acts in the person of James Bond. And in fact, that idea, person, persona comes from the idea of acting. Now, of course, This is true of every actor and actress. The very principle of acting requires people to take on another persona and act in the person of the role that they are playing. Now, whilst analogies, they're never complete or perfect, but a similar thing occurs with respect to the Catholic priesthood. Although admittedly, what we have in this analogy needs to go further, and of course, onto a much deeper and spiritual level. For the priest does not simply pretend to be Jesus. The priest actually and truly does act in the person of Christ, most especially when he administers the sacraments. When a man is ordained to the Catholic priesthood, a change occurs at a spiritual level, a metaphysical level, the level of being, ontological level is what we call it. This change enables the priest to act in the very person of Christ, the head. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that the priest in and of himself is objectively any holier than anyone else. Whilst it is true that there are and have been numerous, thousands, millions of saintly priests, we are also all too painfully aware of the priests who have failed and in some places failed scandalously to live up to their divine calling. Therefore, we should always worship Christ in his church and not worship the priest Shouldn't get into hero worship. It's all about Jesus, not about the priest. Christ established sacraments in his church, visible signs of invisible graces so that he could communicate his life and his grace to us, his flesh and blood people in tangible flesh flesh and blood ways. That's a really important point, which I kind of just garbled over. So let's just say that again. Um, uh, Christ established sacraments in his church. Visible signs of invisible graces so that he could communicate his life and grace to us, his flesh and blood people, in tangible flesh and blood ways. And the sacrament of holy orders is one of these flesh and blood signs of God's grace. One of these ways in which God communicates his life, his grace to us. So God is present in his people. God is present in his priest but god is present in the mass in a third way he is present of course in his word the divine word two main parts make up the catholic mass broadly speaking there's the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the eucharist now these can also be divided up into their smaller constitutive parts. So the penitential rite, the um, dismissal, etc. cetera. Um, but for the sake of this reflection and brevity, let's just look at the liturgy of the word, liturgy of the Eucharist. Now, the liturgy of the word on a Sunday uh, includes the first reading, which would typically be from the Old Testament. Of course, it's not at the moment because we're in Eastertide. Um, so we're hearing from or we have been hearing from the Acts of the Apostles. Um, It would have a psalm. Uh, We'd then have a second reading, usually uh, a New Testament letter. Not always, but usually. And then we'd have a gospel acclamation. Remember, the gospel acclamation is scripture. We don't just make that up. It's all from the Bible. And then, of course, the gospel itself. Now, one could be tempted into thinking that the liturgy of the word concludes with the gospel, but that would be a mistake. You see, the homily. And the creed are part of the liturgy of the word, which actually ends with the prayers of the faithful or the bidding prayers as they are commonly known. So the liturgy of the word is quite an extensive um, period of the mass where we encounter Christ. Now, Christ is the word of God made flesh and he is present in his scriptures, most notably. When they are proclaimed at Mass, the sacred scriptures, or the Bible as we commonly refer to them, occupy the central place in Christian life and worship. And the scriptures are significant because of the firm belief that they are the inspired words of God. You know, the Bible, the Bible is not just any book. People might try and trick you into thinking that or just think, oh, it's some kind of, I don't know, magic book. But no, the Bible, the Bible has one author, God, but many different writers. One author, but many different writers. How is that? Well, the Alpha Course, um, I won't say pioneer, but made popular by uh, Nicky Gumbel. um, It actually uses an excellent um, analogy to explain this, and he uses the the, the idea or the example of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, that famous architectural masterpiece. Now, if you ask people who built St. Paul's Cathedral in London, the answer you would typically get back would be Sir Christopher Wren. Yet, Sir Christopher Wren probably did not lay a single brick. He is the architect, the designer, the author even of St. Paul's. But the work was carried out by many, many different individuals, all according to his plan and his design. The same can be true with the Bible, for it is truly God's word. God is the author, the architect, but it is written by many people with their own understanding And perspective of the world. You know, the Bible is something that every Christian should have and read and use in prayer. Everyone. And when I say Christian, I mean Catholic. And when I say Catholic, I mean Christian. We're followers of Jesus. We are Christians, Catholic Christians. And we should read and know the Bible. The Scriptures. The Second Vatican Council was was very, very clear on that. It is in the Bible we discover the story of our salvation. Through the pages of the Bible, a love affair unfolds between God and His people. What is more, God continues to speak to us through the Bible today. If we read the Bible. Prayerfully. Particular verses can just jump off the page, as it were, and penetrate our hearts. God really does speak to us through the Bible, so it's important that we are not ignorant of this sacred text. As Saint Jerome, the fifth century biblical scholar, once said, ignorance of the scriptures. Is ignorance of Christ. The Bible is so important that at every celebration of the Eucharist and every liturgical celebration, that is the public prayer of the church, the word of God is publicly proclaimed. The word of the Lord, and we all reply, thanks be to God. One of the most important liturgical reforms following the Second Vatican Council was in the revision of the lectionary. And the lectionary provides the cycle of readings that we hear at Mass throughout the year. The Sunday Mass readings are in a three year cycle, and the weekday Masses in a two year cycle. And we'll look at that a little bit more um, in a moment, but I think it's time for another break so I don't know if we've got another piece of music to help us to go into that
1: thank you so much Father Luke I couldn't resist this song it's not in English I think it's in Spanish but it is called In Persona Christi so let's have a listen (laughs) Ya no soy yo
3: quien vive Tú eres quien vive en mí, mi vida la he perdido, pues todo lo vivo en ti. Tú pronuncias con mis labios las palabras de tu boca y levantas en mis manos el misterio de tu cuerpo. Espíritu mora en mí y mi espíritu llevar en mis manos las heridas de tus manos. Quiero comulgar contigo los dolores de tu cruz. Quiero morirme contigo en tus brazos extendidos y así con tu santo espíritu resucitaré contigo. Amigo yo venceré, pues todo lo puedo en ti.
1: That was in persona. Christy, thank you, Father Luke. And back over to you. Father Luke is talking to us about the Eucharist source and summit.
2: Thank you, Elizabeth. We have been talking about how Christ is truly present in the Mass, in each other, um, in His Word, and in His priest. And before we uh, have the break and the technical problems, I was talking about the the lectionary the lectionary that we have at mass and it 's one of the one of the great gifts of the Second Vatican Council. Um, Second Vatican Council revised the lectionary and wanted to make sure that we encounter god 's Word in a in a richer and fuller way in the celebration of the Eucharist, and the the church 's constitution on the sacred liturgy, that Sacrosanctum Concilium, um, describes the, the sacred scripture in the, in the liturgy like this. It says, the, the treasures of the Bible are to be opened up more lavishly so that richer fare may be provided for the faithful at the table of God's word. In this way, a more representative portion of the Holy Scriptures will be read to the people in the course of a prescribed number of years. This means that now, at Sunday Mass, the first section of the Mass is devoted very clearly to the Bible, to the Scriptures, the liturgy of the Word. Four readings are proclaimed an Old Testament reading, a psalm, a New Testament reading, then a gospel. Sometimes, sometimes, dare I say, some of our brothers and sisters in other Christian communions uh, dismiss Catholics as being ignorant of the Bible. But this, this is not the case. A Catholic has the Bible, has the sacred scriptures in his or her DNA. The very prayers of the Mass come from the Scriptures, and simply by turning up to worship at Mass, we encounter more Scripture than many other Christian communities use in their worship services. The Word of God comes alive in the liturgy and finds its natural habitat in the Eucharist. It's important to remember, however, that stating that the Bible is God's Word does not make it some magical book. You can't just open up a page at random and get a magic answer. Instead, it is the church's book. It belongs to the church. Yes, brothers and sisters, we are members of the church and so it belongs to us, but we have to know its context. The Bible emerged by God's providence out of the Christian community of the church. The church reflected, prayed, and decided finally what books were to be considered as inspired texts and, importantly, what books were not. This was an organic process which occurred over a long period, directed by the power of the Holy Spirit working through frail human beings. But we shouldn't be surprised by this, as this is consistent with how God works. It's his MO, his modus operandi, if you like. He partners with human beings. God generally does not um, just sort of beam down from heaven and perform magical acts. Rather, he enters his creation and works in it and through it, and then redeems it. So we've said that the Mass is the the source and summit of the Christian life. And we've said that Christ is present in four specific ways in the Eucharist, in his people, he is present in his priest. He is present in his word. But of course, the the most clearest and obvious way in which we, we think of how Christ is present in the Mass is, of course, in Holy Communion, in the Eucharistic species of bread and wine themselves. And so, in this final portion of today's reflection, I want us to think about how Christ is truly present, his real presence in the species, the Holy Communion, in um, what was simply at the beginning of Mass, bread and wine. So, the true presence, the abiding presence of Christ in Mass, this presence is different to every other way in which Christ is present. Christ comes to us in the form of food to feed us and nourish us. And we know that Christ is present, principally because he promised that he would be present. We take Christ at his word. When he said, this is my body, this is my blood, we know that Christ meant that this truly was his body and blood, that he was truly present here in this food given to his disciples. In the sixth chapter of St. John, Jesus is talking, commenting about the bread of life, Discourse, or it's called the bread of life discourse he's talking about um, himself as the bread of life the true manner that has come down from heaven and he says very clearly if you do not eat my body and drink my blood you have no life in you and at that point we are told that many people left him because they couldn't accept that teaching it was just too challenging but some didn't some didn't Jesus didn't soften his teaching. He didn't say, oh, this is this is not what I meant. I was talking about a metaphor or, um, you know, you've misunderstood me here. He reiterated in the strongest terms, unless you eat, unless you chew on my body and blood, you have no life in you. And then he turns to to Peter and the others and says, what about you? Where will you go? And they say, Lord, you have the words Of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Christ is truly present in the Eucharist. How is he present? Well over the years the church has adopted the idea of transubstantiation using um, uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas's philosophy um, and that's uh, been bought into Church and and ratified over the years and contained in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we understand that there is a substantial change in the bread and wine at the celebration of the Mass. So what does this mean? Put put simply, I'm conscious of the time now, Um, what does this mean? Well, in philosophy, in metaphysics, in the uh, philosophy of of how we know thi- as not that's the epistemology, but in the philosophy of 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 the world. Uh, when we talk about uh, any object, it has uh, two dimensions to it. Any anything that exists, being itself, that um, anything that exists has something called substance and something called accidents. Now, I don't mean accidents as in somebody crashes on a road. Uh, but this is a philosophical, metaphysical term, accidents. There's substance and accidents. Let me explain this a little bit more. If we looked at a chair, a chair's substance would be what that thing, what that chair is in and of itself. It's its chairness. Um, it's accidents uh, would be um, its characteristics. It's... Um, it's uh, sorry, I think we've got a question. Have we got a question? We have a simple question,
1: yeah, we um, had a question sent in uh somebody has asked, do you remember about ten years ago, of course you do, you're a Catholic priest when the yes. the mass the words of the mass were slightly changed, and I think it's the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer, but the bit that they've mentioned is that it used to say it is right to give him thanks and praise and now it says it is right and just and mm-hmm. uh, why was this done and um, was it just uh, because the Pope wanted to do it or uh, yeah any any thoughts on that um,
2: there's particular phrase it is right and just um why that was particularly done um i don't want to comment on that specifically because uh, i wasn't expecting that question and i don't have all the information in front of me but but broadly speaking the translation that we had uh of the mass and we had been using was not an accurate translation from the latin and was not an accurate translation of what Everybody else was saying in other languages. So we have the mass, which was celebrated in Latin. That's the kind of the the archetype of the the Roman um, the Roman rite, and then from that it is translated into to other languages. And there was some sort of looseness in the English translation. And the the general aim was to be um, more authentic. To the Latin, and in doing so, we would be more authentic to the original meaning, and to be more authentic to um, our French brothers and sisters, our Spanish brothers and sisters, our Italian brothers and sisters. So it was about um, uh, bringing the liturgy in, in, in closer back to its origins, uh, and in doing so, then bringing a, a richer um, expression uh, of, of, of the liturgy in terms of the fact that it's not just something the English Church does, but we're part of the universal church. Um, so
1: Absolutely. hopefully that
2: makes sense. Yeah,
1: because um, I was actually living in a Slavic country at the time and the direct translation of their mass was uh, it is right and just. Um, so for me, it wasn't too strange. We have a caller. I'm just going to put them through. Hello, oh. you're, you're on air and through to Father Luke. Oh, hello, Father Luke. It's Helena hello. and Sam.
2: Oh, hello, Hi. Helena and Sam. How are you?
1: Good, good, good. Sam is getting his first communion in a couple of weeks.
2: Oh, wonderful, Sam. Wonderful. That's, that's, that's very special.
1: So if we were wondering, we went to his cousin's first communion. And at that first communion, each of the first communion children got mm-hmm. to get uh, the bread and the wine. But how they did it was they, the priest, only the priest, took the communion, put the Eucharist, and dipped it in the blood and then put it straight on the tongue none Mm
4: -hmm. of the
1: rest of the folks all of us none of us got to do that but the the candidates did how come that's just not a normal part of uh the regular mass uh, receiving the eucharist and blood at the same time like that
2: so um what you're talking about is the practice of intinction where the priest places the sacred host into the precious blood and then puts it directly into the mouth of, of the communicant um that is a practice in in some places um only the priest is allowed to do that um because there's uh, there's practical issues and there's also issues about you know taking communion rather than being given communion and gestures and everything else but it's look helena it's it's not the ideal and it's not the ideal because The Eucharist, as we'll explore in my next talk, um, its roots are um, at the Last Supper, where Jesus gave his body as bread and gave his precious blood and said, take, eat, take, drink. And that is more effectively communicated in receiving under both kinds, but in taking and eating and taking and drinking. Um, So uh, I I do encourage our First Communion candidates where possible to receive under both kinds. And certainly um, my First Communion candidates will receive from the chalice now that restrictions have been eased, as well as receiving uh, the the host. Um, And I think, you know, at First Communion, that's an important, an important moment. Um, But ordinarily, um, yeah, it's it's not a normative thing.
1: Thank you. It's a great explanation. Thank you, Father Luke.
2: Bless you. I realise I just kind of stopped in the middle of transubstantiation. I also realise I've only got about a minute left. Um,
1: Father Luke, no, I think we've we've got a few minutes. So, so do you continue?
2: Okay, okay. So, just to sort of bring this into to close. Um, I was talking about a chair, and I was talking about substance and accidents, so the substance of a chair is its chairness, if that 's the thing, okay, what it is in and of itself, its accidents are a bit like its characteristics, so the fact that it has four legs, that it's colored, that you can see it, that it has a hard surface, etc okay and you can do that for everything. you can do that for a person my my substance is my loopness, who I am in and of itself, but my my accidents, which you can 't see because this is radio but i 'm about five, five. I've got dark hair, a bit of a bald spot. I've got olive skin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you can do that. Substance and accidents, okay? And in the ordinary uh, uh, um, turn of events, those two things are always together. They are always together. You can never separate them. Now, the miracle of the Eucharist is that a separation occurs between the substance of bread and wine and the accidents of bread and wine. So the the substance of bread and wine are changed completely into the substance of Jesus Christ, God made man himself. So what the bread and wine was is no longer because what it is in and of itself is the substance of Jesus Christ. It's inner essence, what it is, it's Jesus. But the accidents remain, The accidents, the characteristics of bread and wine, the taste, the molecular structure, the properties are all that of bread and wine. And this is because we can then receive it as food and Jesus can come into us in this most intimate and powerful way. We can receive the Lord as living bread for us. And Jesus humbles himself. He makes himself that small, that um, uh, vulnerable to become bread and wine for us. So at Holy Communion, after the Eucharistic prayer and at Holy Communion, it is no longer possible to refer to to the Eucharistic species as bread and wine. It is not bread and wine for what it is has been substantially changed into Jesus himself. And that is an abiding presence, which is why, which is why the bread and wine which has become Jesus Christ himself that host is placed in the tabernacle, which we can pray before it in in Eucharistic adoration. we can take it to the sick because it is no longer bread and wine, but Jesus himself given for us, and I see in this just a similar. A similar movement to what God did at Christmas when God made himself a little baby, humbled himself. The creator of the universe became a child for us. And people would have walked past that baby and that young mother and, and walked past Jesus growing up and not seen anything at all. Just looked like a normal bloke, a normal baby. And people can walk past the Eucharist people can just see and think, oh, well, that's just a sign, it's just a symbol. But no, it's not just a sign. It's not just a symbol. It is the living Lord Jesus Christ, truly present for us. And that, brothers and sisters, is the greatest of miracles. That is why the Mass is the source and summit of our Christian faith. For Jesus is truly present and truly feeds us, and truly ministers to us in every celebration of the Eucharist.
1: Amen. Amen. Could we perhaps finish with a prayer, Father Luke?
2: Of course. Lord Jesus Christ, you give us the Eucharist as your memorial of your suffering and death. May our worship of this sacrament of your body and blood help us to experience the salvation you won for us, and the peace of the kingdom where you live with the Father and the Holy Spirit, God, for ever and ever. Amen.
0: This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programs. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programs like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.